It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. I'm a white American Christian male. With that many things wrong about me, the message is clear. Eric, keep your mouth shut. You don't have a voice in this cultural meltdown. But the big deal in that list is not that I'm white, American, or male. It's that I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, my voice has been bought and paid for by the Most High God. And he's got some really good news to dish out through it. And so I've decided that I'm going to let him do just that. Hey, this is Eric. Before we dive into today's Daily Thunder message and begin talking about some <clears throat> very uncomfortable issues, I wanted to mention our upcoming training this summer. Starting on June 15th, Ellerslie is offering our very first online edition of our classic five-week discipleship training. And get this, we are offering it on a donation-only basis, which means there is absolutely no reason not to look into it and consider joining in on the fun. Please visit ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's journey back in time to June 28, 1919. On this day, an injustice occurred. World War II is the hateful response to this injustice, and it resulted in 75 million people dead. Maybe we should learn a thing or two from this retaliatory form of righting past wrongs before we repeat this terrible history in the year 2020. The name of this one is, uh, definitely doesn't sound like World War II, and I recognize that, going after the girl. I took a name from somewhere else, and I'm applying it to this because I'm having a tough time knowing how to articulate something. So I'm going to create the best metaphor I can and then drive it into that terrain. So this is what popped up on my screen yesterday. I took a very quick screenshot, but I, I have my browser, and uh, it always defaults to Blue Letter Bible. But if I ever want to open another screen, then this, this pops up. Now, you could say you could change that. I'm, sh I'm sure I could. But, you know, it's like in my busy life, things like this fall by the wayside. But there will be these news clippings. And obviously, they're not servicing me. They don't study me. They just seem to give what they want to give as far as a news uh, feed. And these are the first two things in my news feed sitting next to each other. We have a picture on the left. For those of you that are getting this via podcast, it's like two blocks. Uh, uh, and the first one is reimagining justice, a primer on defunding the police and prison abolition. Okay, that's how it starts. Okay, that's the first thing. That's the premier piece of news is let's teach you why this is a good idea. Why it is a reasonable idea to defund police and abolish the prison system. Okay, obviously, like, like I said, they're not trying to speak my language here. The second is the worth of an angry God. And it says underneath, a God, and you'll notice an, a non-capitalized G, a God who knows everything, is everywhere and wields impossible power as a potent fantasy. This is the age in which we live. Is that a good description of it or what? That's our nation right there in a nutshell. And how do we as the church respond? Now, I, I didn't read either article, to be honest with you. So, you know, I, I'm not making any commentary on that. I'm just saying I see it everywhere I turn right now. It's a blatant opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ. It is no longer a subtle one where they're playing games, trying to act like they're pro-religious freedom. Now it is something that is directly opposed to it, and we need to be monitoring that. So uh, I have a picture on the screen. It's the autonomous zone, and June 
of 2020, and this is in Seattle. Many of you are familiar with it, but it's very fascinating in how this links with World War II, because what you're going to see is territory and politics and race are everything World War II is about. World War II is going to be a racial issue in every regard, okay? And the way that the nations are going to interact with each other is very racial. <laughs> I mean, the more you study World War II, the more you realize that. But even internally in Germany, it's a racial issue. You just think about the Germans, or the Germans and the Jews. You have a racial issue that is going to lead to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and in the Jewish case, millions of deaths. So this autonomous zone is a unique study in and of itself, which I'm not going into. It's, it's just news today. It's not necessarily what I want to teach on as much as it's fascinating that when you pull out authority and when you pull out law and when you pull out justice, something else will always fill that gap. And so if as a parent I neglect my children and I do not bring discipline to them in a proper corrective way, something else will fill in that gap. We have this notion that to remove any form of correction, actually the child will correct themselves. And that has been shown throughout history, and it is clearly articulated in the Bible, that that is the action of the fool. And so how do we navigate through these sorts of things in such an hour? As the church, how do we reason? So I'm going to uh, give you this acronym, G-A-T-G. It stands for going after the girl. And basically the idea is risking everything to do what Christ would do. There is a commission. One of my passion points is manhood. And there's this idea of manhood that is willing to risk itself for the weaker party in any situation, which is what the military is about. Technically, it's what the police are supposed to be about. I recognize that these things get corrupt, and I recognize that manhood can turn bad too. And it can use its strength to create abuse. And I get that. However, that's not the way God intended it. It's not the creation of it. God intended a man to spend his life to rescue and to give up his best strength so that others could have it, to pour out his life so that others can live. Did I just uh, give the gospel in the description of manhood? That's exactly right. Jesus is going to come and he's going to demonstrate the perfect man, and he is going to go after the girl. And so this idea of this Christ modeling there's some sensitivity points, though, and so there's this picture that I want to give you, and this comes from the movie Free Burma Rangers. If any of you have seen it, if you haven't seen it, it is deeply stirring, okay? As a man, when you interact with it, it, it moves you at, at a very deep, deep level. Now, so what we have is uh, Dave Eubank, who is the guy on the screen right now, and he's carrying this little uh, Iraqi girl. Uh, he is a white American male, and he has to be very, very sensitive. He is in a Muslim culture in Mosul, Iraq. And yet there is something that he sees, and that is this little girl that is caught in enemy fire. Her parents are dead around her. And the, uh, not the Taliban, the ISIS is, is actually uh, you know, firing down, and there's no way to get to this girl. And Dave Eubank, as a Christian man, recognizes that he needs to get the girl. I mean, this is like a defining moment in his life. The fascinating thing is it's caught on film. 
all of his decision making and as he's going through this is captured and that's part of what the movie is based on is they literally are filming all of these, these things that are taking place. So it's not like a reenactment, it's like the real thing. And so I'm gonna be, I feel like I'm selling a movie here. Uh, but Dave Eubank is going to go in, risk his life. It's a profound picture. I mean, it really is. And he is going to get the girl. He is going to rescue this little girl. Now, there's a few things that Dave Eubank needs to know. And I'm going to give sort of the, the guidelines. And so some guidelines for the white American male. Now, I'm a white American male. I also happen to be German. So when I'm talking about Germany and I make them the bad guys, I recognize that some of these things can easily spike punch, and I'm definitely not trying to do that. That's why I'm saying this is a hard thing to know how to talk about. However, we do know that in Mosul, Iraq, Dave Eubank doesn't really fit. He's a di of a different culture. He's of a different skin color. And so there's some awkward things there. But that does not remove the fact that right is still right. And what Dave Eubank needs to do in this environment is still the same thing he would do in any other environment. Same is true with Christians right now. It doesn't matter skin color. It matters that we do what is right. No matter the politics in the situation, we are Christians and we go after the girl. And that's what I'm trying to bring out here. Now, there's certain things Dave Eubank needs to understand. Now, let's go through that quick list. She doesn't speak the same language as you, Dave. And so there's a different language. Okay, there's a few of you that are married in here. I mean, it's, it's actually humorous, okay? One of the most hilarious things, uh, uh, was it Gary Larson from the Far Side? Uh, do you guys remember Far Side comics? He said the most intrinsically hilarious thing on earth is the cow. And so he'd always put cows in and then Chick-fil-A picked up on that and put cows in their things. And they, they really are, cows are really funny. At the same time, you have to admit, one of the most intrinsically hilarious things in God's creation is the differences between men and women. And that's not always funny in marriage. You don't always laugh as you should. But there are moments when a, a woman feels a need for something in a marriage and she's like trying to articulate it and the man's like, hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I don't see any problem. And the woman feels something, but the man sort of overrides it because his perspective is correct. Racial tension right now. I want you just to pick up on this. If you recognize that as a white male, it's very easy for me to say, look, I have no issue with race, none. I have two kids with black skin. Okay, it's like, I should say, enough said. At the same time, that's not going after the girl. That's not understanding something. There is a real vulnerability here that we need to recognize as Dave Eubank coming into this situation. And that is that this girl, and look at the next one, she is extra sensitive because of very real trauma. There is very real trauma that this little girl has gone through that Dave Eubank hasn't gone through. Now, he's risking his life, don't get me wrong. However, there is very real trauma that she has experienced that he hasn't. And the abuse under the control of men that this little girl has faced is very real. And so when a man comes up to her, you can recognize, Dave, you just need to be sensitive to that, that that could cause her to pull back. It does not mean that Dave doesn't go after the girl. It just means that Dave needs to recognize these things as he does. Third, she has experienced something you have not, Dave, and four, rescue her with that in mind. So the sensitivity, when I'm going after my wife, I need to recognize that she is different than me and her perspective needs to be validated. 
And the fact that she speaks a different language is a pretty good way of describing marriage, isn't it? It's like, what did you just say? And she, she looks at me, what did you just say? It's like, we're speaking different languages oftentimes. I'm like, I just said that. She'll, she'll say something to me. It's like, that's what I just said. And it's like, you can miss because it is a slightly different language. It's a different skin tone, if you will. And as a result, there is a vulnerability to misunderstanding. So in this, we still have a rescue job to do, and it is essential that we do it. How we do it is of the utmost importance. Now, with that in mind, let's embark on this dangerous journey. What is a word? So if you've ever heard me teach on word, uh, which I think uh, in my teaching this next week in Ellerslie Online, I'm going to start with even that. And a word is a carrying device. I have an invisible thought in my head, and if I want to pass it on to you, what do I do? I cloak it, or I clothe it in a word, and I shoot it out from my mouth, and you are able to take it into your mind, unpack it, and understand what is invisible inside of me. It is a carrying device. However, so that carrying device, Jesus is the ultimate carrying device, capital W, word. And so the, that which is invisible has been communicated to us through a word. So what if the word gets redefined? So one of the things that we're seeing happen today, which is why this is so difficult and so delicate, is words which carry ideas are being taken hostage and being used differently. Same word, but now it has a different meaning. So all of us are like, yeah, I agree with that. Well, I'm not sure you agree with what they mean by that. And that's why this is sticky and difficult. So what if, a word, what if the word gets redefined? Well, it will no longer carry its original cargo. So if a word is a carrying device, if it gets redefined, no longer is it carrying that one thought that you originally had with it to its destination. Here's a, a quick list of, th- of words that have been radically redefined in and through the, our modern age. Liberty, freedom, justice, love, peace, truth. All of those are like deranged to the point where I could say those words and I know what I mean by them. I remember I was teaching on revival And every time I do, I have to clarify. I don't mean the version of revival that the church is talking about today. You know, people are going berserko and crazy, and then you have angel feathers falling from the ceiling, and they stick like scents in the the air ducts to give you this sense of being in the Holy of Holies. Like, no, I'm not talking about something manufactured. I'm talking about something that only God can do. And yet you have to clarify that. Why? Because the word has been taken to mean something different. Freedom of the press. So this is something that I would stand for. The First Amendment rights are very, very significant to me in every regard. As far as what we are doing here, a gathering of believers, this is part of our First Amendment rights, and so I cherish those. They're they're very precious to us. And so this freedom of the press, but when you redefine freedom, you end up with all sorts of problems. Does that mean they can do whatever they want? And this is what we're really struggling with today, and this is a... A very quick uh, U.S. history lesson on freedom of the press, because when we first started with the idea of freedom, it's the here's here's the illustration. I used to teach constitutional law, and I would always use this illustration. If I swing my arm like this, I have full freedom and liberty to do this. Why do I have liberty to swing my arm like this? Why? Well, because you know it's it's my body, it's my shoulder. I'm the one that wears it out. It hurts me. It doesn't hurt you. And even though it's rather weird to look at. I'm free to do it, right? I have liberty to exercise my arm in that way. Now imagine that Ryan Priest's head is right here, and I'm like, clonk, clonk, clonk. Suddenly, 
I don't have liberty to do the same action. Why? What's the difference? I'm, hey, I have liberty to do this, not if you are clonking Ryan Priest. You see, the fact that I'm now violating his liberty of being, you know, having some personal space and not being violated and harmed is actually removing my ability to exercise that. So I have, I have the ability to exercise this. That's what liberty is, but not if it begins to harm other people. And so you're going to see a, a famous uh, quote, which there's been a lot of debate about this quote. Back in 1919, Oliver Wendell Holmes in the Supreme Court is going to make a decision on a key case. And he's going to say, falsely shouting fire in a theater and causing a panic and is unlawful. That's the context. And so the idea of shouting fire in a crowded theater actually isn't uh, unlawful. That's fine. Because what if there's a real fire? If there's a real fire, it's totally appropriate to say, fire! Because actually you're helping people as opposed to harming them. So, yeah, uh, that's why he's saying falsely shouting fire in a theater and causing a panic is unlawful. Now, this is going to be sharply debate, debated through the next uh, 40 years uh, in America because there's this side, this liberal dimension of our culture that is wanting the freedom to express whatever they want. If they, if they don't like something, they want to be able to say it more freely. It's a very fascinating tension that's always been in our country, okay? It's just there. Now, in 1969, you're going to see a law that is basically going to clarify that it is okay to yell fire, okay? We're not, we're not going to say you can't. It's just that if it creates a riot, if its purpose is to incite violence, you do not have the freedom of that, okay? So now you, you look at what's taking place today, and you can see the tensions of why I'm bringing this up. It's like, how do we exercise these freedoms that we have and are we actually helping people when we do? The word fire is not the problem, it's the way in which it is used. So when people start looking at words and they miss how Christians look at things, and that is the motive, the intent, the character behind it, it's the content. God looks at the heart. First clean the inside of the cup and dish and the outside will be clean also. You wanna clean this nation, you have to get to the inside of it. You have to actually touch it at its core. You can't just attempt to polish it on the outside. So I'm going to give you two different ways to yell fire, okay? Fire, number one. You are in imminent, imminent danger. You must move towards safety right now. Okay, that's one way you could do it. The other one is this. Fire, that's number two. There isn't actually a fire, but I want you to go crazy as if there is one. Okay, which one holds the Christian ideal, and which one is dangerous. I don't think it's hard when it's on the screen like that to see it. However, I would say our nation is prospering the notion of freedom of the second version of fire right now. And as a result, it's creating a certain form of chaos where we're actually attempting to incite activity to try and gain political steps forward. That's a very weird way to gain political grounds is to create violence, to create riots, to create disasters. Okay, now I don't know which world everyone else is coming from, but for me, I'm staring back at this going, this isn't correct, guys, so here's my Christian analysis on it. That's not Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's very simple, isn't it? So fire number one is spoken with intent to help. Fire number two is spoken with intent to harm. Jesus Christ is going to divide things in two camps. He's going to say there's dark and there's light. There's death and there's life. And he's going to distinguish between this thief, this 
Satan, this devil, who is actually has an agenda in this earth, and you could serve him, and himself, Jesus. You have two different rulers. You choose which way your soul, your tongue, is going to be controlled. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So there are always two, evil, good, dark, light, lies, truth, self could be a motive, love could be a motive. The fool, the wise. Now there's twos all over the Bible. That's just a quick uh, summation, just to give you the idea. In other words, I'm saying that as a Christian, we need to not just look at the word, we need to understand what's behind the word. We need to evaluate fire on what its motive or what its intent or what its effect is. So as Christians, we need to be very watchful in how we ally in this time. So our ally is very, very important. We need to choose the right ally, and we need to make sure we fight the right battle. So let's examine the words. Ooh, did I just put that up on the screen? Black lives matter. If you're a white American male, let's give some guidelines. Don't even talk about it. Unless you're going to compliment it, Eric, don't even say anything. Those are the rules, right? That's actually incorrect rules. I have to rescue the girl. I have to go after the girl, which means I'm in the midst of enemy fire here. There's a lot going on, but I see a real need. And I know what is needed, by the way, guys. Jesus. Jesus is what is needed right now, and I happen to be a carrier. I happen to be built for such a time as this, just as you are, to do something practical and not to sit on the sidelines and chew my fingernails. This is the hour to respond. So let's evaluate the words. Remember, words are carrying devices. Black, perfectly fine word, right? Lives, yeah, matter. So there are two ways these words can be wielded. One for good and the other for evil. Just words, right? But you string them together and they are politically charged right now. So going after the girl in this situation, how do we do it? Well, we have to be sensitive to the fact that this is charged and that there is real trauma here. That's why this appeal is working so strongly is because the black community has been traumatized just like that little girl. And even though from my perspective as a white male, it's like, I don't understand why there's an issue. Well, I also wasn't traumatized in a racial sense. Now, what's funny is if you were to talk to Eric, you know how many times in my life I've had to die to the fact of being understood? I, I wish everyone understood how hard my life is as a pastor, as someone who stands for the truth and gets falsely accused for a living. I, I think it'd be really good if people understood that. Now, I've had to die to it. So I actually can understand what it's like to feel like the odd man out, to feel like the one that's under the gun, to feel like the one that gets picked on. I actually understand that, not from the racial side, but from a different angle. So I get that. But I also recognize that this is sensitive territory as well. So just like the girl, there's a different language, there's real trauma, but there's also a need for real action. So how do we as Christians go after the girl? So Ray Comfort made a statement, uh, this is not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. That's exactly what we're dealing with, guys. It doesn't matter what skin color it is, we all have the same issue, and it's sin, and it's the same rescuer. It's a common solution to our problem. We make it a skin issue, and we're playing the devil's game. This is not a skin issue, this is a sin issue. 
People can make it a skin issue. I'm not going to demote that. However, this is an issue of sin. And if sin is not addressed, then we will be ruled by the evil one in this situation. There is a very evil, large evil lurking in our country right now. And if we try and address it politically instead of spiritually, if we try and address it with legislation and military force instead of with the power of the gospel, we're going to have a lot of lost lives. So I'm going to give you two different ways of looking at Black Lives Matter. Remember, this is the same issue I said with fire. There's two ways you could say Black Lives Matter. So the first one, you'll notice I have a picture of Martin Luther King. Black Lives Matter, exclamation point. And they sure do matter. Okay, this is actually fact. They do matter. Racial injustice is an absolute travesty, and there should be liberty and justice for all. And I would say most of America actually agreed with that before all this started. That's what's interesting about this. It's like, what are we actually fighting about? Who are we fighting against? I mean, this is like weird. Who's trying to break us up? Because I would be standing with you right there. What I can't stand with is this second one where it says Black Lives Matter number two. You go to the website for Black Lives Matter and read what they're about. It's not healthy, guys. It's not Christian. It's not Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I can't stand with something that actually is propagating anti-Christ in our generation, I'm all for uh, black people having racial justice, but I'm not for this second way, which is actually creating a pandemonium. Let's remove God, truth, and justice from this society and hold it hostage under the sway of our own political agenda. So when someone says black lives matter, they could mean the top one, and you're going to have an A-OK thumbs up from me. But if someone is using it in the second way, I'm going to say, I can't stand with that. And if they say, what are you against, black people? I said, no, I'm not. See, that's the trick in this. It is a bait. For us as Christians, we can't follow the bait. We must follow the truth. We care about every race. About, and if, if the church in the past has violated this, it should repent. Jesus never did. He is going to go straight to the leper and touch him. He's going to go straight to the Samaritan woman and minister truth to her. Jesus Christ was not a racist. He created every nation, tribe, and tongue and desires them all before his throne. That's our king. We follow his lead. That's what has always filled the true church. The true church has always been motivated out of that going after the girl. If there is someone that's weak, if there is someone that is mistreated, if there is someone that's under enemy fire, we're ready to lay down our life to give them the gospel. So allies and, so typically you say it axes and allies, but I'm going to put the allies up top and the axes down below. So we're allies with Black Lives Matter. Sure, I too believe that black lives are super special to God and should be treated from all forms, should be protected from all forms of racial maltreatment. I'm with you. Axes, I cannot stand with this. I cannot endorse a movement that purposely seeks to remove God and God ideas from our world, specifically from our understanding of family and from our framework of morality and from our comprehension of human sexuality. I am not with you on that. It is decidedly anti-God, decidedly anti-male, decidedly anti-heteronormal sexuality. It is very pro everything that God says, hey guys, that'll lead you over a cliff. Guys, that is not the way I created you. That's not the design. Oh, boy, Eric's on dangerous territory, isn't he? Yeah, I'm trying to rescue a girl. I'm trying to rescue one who is caught in darkness. How do I do it? By ignoring it or by going straight in? We have a job to do as the church of Jesus Christ. The devil wants us on the sideline. 
The issues are sensitive. What do we do? Stare back and say, well, I can't deal with it. That's a political issue. This is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. And we as the church are the front line. This will not be dealt with through legislation. This will be dealt with through prayer. The only way to break this stronghold in our nation is to actually pray as the church of Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual battle first and foremost. So the allies, here was what we were in agreement with. We agree that black lives matter. Absolutely. Axis, we don't agree that this particular organization, its doctrine, its agenda, and its practices are the best way for bringing about a godly solution. You see the tension that is created? If you stand against the organization, you're standing against the fact that black lives matter. That's what we're trying to be set up for. I'm not going to be set up for that because that's not true. And we follow truth. Allies, the concept of Black Lives Matter is correct. The concept of equal justice for all races is actually correct. But however, there's a problem. The answer that is being given is totally wrong. There are certain things out there, and I was about to give an illustration, I'm going to pass on it, where you can address a problem correctly and give an incorrect solution. But the fact that you address the problem correctly causes you to have a certain degree of credibility in your solution. People will trust your solution because you so clearly identified the problem. That's dangerous. And that's what we see here. So we're going back to another June date. So you notice that this is June, right? We're June 2020. Now we're going back quite a few years, which is uh, June 28, 1919. This is the ending of World War I. And it's called the Treaty of Versailles. And the Treaty of Versailles is going to be, for certain nations, a triumph, especially for France. For France, it is going to be a get back at Germany for all the ills during World War I that they experienced, which were many. Okay, because remember, France and Germany, well, long-time uh, enemies, but then Germany is going to encroach upon French territory and greatly abuse the French people and the French resources during that time of occupation. And so France, when it finally gets to the table uh, to close this deal, they overstretch and they over-respond in correcting Germany. Okay, I'm just going to say it the way it is. Because does Germany deserve discipline? Yes. However, this is an extreme form of justice. So the Versailles Treaty. The Germans had no say in the treaty. If they didn't sign it, then they would have an occupied military patrol over their country. So as a result, to, not, to still have their liberty and their freedom as a country, they have to sign this. Their option was to either sign the treaty or allied troops would occupy their country. The treaty was solely intended to make it impossible for Germany to start a new war. The Germany had to reduce its armed forces from 6 million men to 100,000. That's a big cutback, by the way. It had to get rid of its submarines. It had to dispose of its military aircraft. It had to liquidate most of its artillery. It had to shrink down its naval forces to merely six small battleships. Germany had also also had to give back French territories it had taken and occupied during World War I. They also had to relinquish large territories of its own to Poland and other neighbors, and it had to give up all its colonies to the League of Nations. In addition to all this, Germany had to pay back the massive World War I reparations for the damage done to allied countries by German troops. This sum was enormous. 132 billion gold marks was just the first payment due. What you have is a devastation of a nation. Yes, what they did was incorrect. 
And yet what is going to happen is it is going to create a boiling cauldron because of the over-response, you're going to see an over-response from Germany. You're going to see the Nazis grow out of the seedbed right here. So the wrong of Versailles, justice was taken too far. Okay, so justice isn't our problem. It's that when justice is taken too far, it actually creates a problem. In our country, this is part of the challenge that we're facing. And I have no problem with having a uh, healthy justice system. I'm all for it. So there's no argument there. Okay, when you talk about removing our justice system, I'm going to raise my hand and say, that's not a wise thing. I agree that justice can be taken too far and has been taken too far in certain situations. And as a result, I'm in agreement with that. However, look at this next slide. The overcorrection of Versailles. Justice was not pursued. You see, what's going to happen in World War II, or before World War II, is Hitler is going to violate the Versailles Treaty. He is going to respond by taking back what's called the Rhineland, which is a portion of Germany, with his troops. He's not allowed, according to the Rhineland, according to the Versailles Treaty, to occupy the Rhineland. But he's going to do it bald-faced. And the Allies aren't going to do anything. You know why? Because they feel bad. <laughs> They feel bad about what they did because you have another generation coming in. They're like, guys, you really overreacted here. I mean, poor Germany. Look what you set them up for. So what you're going to see is you're going to see a passivity begin to enter in. And Hitler is doing very bad things right now. Okay, he's already begun his laws of reconstruction against the Jews. And he is already removing them from political position at this time. He's removing them from teaching positions, removing them from all influence. He's now beginning a social fervor in the nation to create a outcast mentality towards the Jews. Okay, this is all happening simultaneous to this. Then you're going to see Hitler see that he took the Rhineland and all of his generals are like, I can't believe you got away with that. So he's going to invade Austria. And guess what? The Allies are going to do nothing. Why? Well, because they overreacted all 20 years before and they recognized that it's probably due it's probably deserving that we have this, uh, you know, that Germany gets back that territory. You know, hey, we're going to just stand off. So what is Germany going to do? Well, they're going to take the Sudetenland. What is Germany going to do? Now they're hungering and salivating for Czechoslovakia. And do you think anyone's going to stop them? Check your history books. No one is going to stop them. You know when the war is finally going to start? When they invade Poland. It's sort of like enough is enough. At what point is enough enough? Now, let me go through something with you. The result of this overcorrection, you see, what we have is the Versailles Treaty is justice overblown, okay? It is incorrect. But then we see another wrong committed, and that is that you allow an evil to sweep through Europe without tending to it because you're trying to somehow justify and get the scales equal. That is not actually how you correct things, is through passivity, through allowing evil to reign. That is not a correct mode. The result of the overcorrection is what we could call World War II. 75 million people will die because of that passivity. Yeah, I don't know if this is too weighty of a statement, but I'm just telling you, this is history, and it wasn't that long ago. And we're dealing with very similar dynamics, racial, we're dealing with political, and the church was silent. The church begged for peace in Great Britain to do nothing, and in Germany, they did nothing to stop Hitler 
and his overreach in beginning to exterminate the Jews. So the church was a non-participant at the very hour when the truth of Jesus Christ was most required and needed. The solution to a wrong is not another wrong. So conscription, Germany's going to build its military and no one's going to stop it. They're going to take the Rhineland. No one's going to stop them. Austria is going to be taken. The Sudetenland is going to be taken. Now, I have a, a picture of what Germany looks like at this time. This is what you create when you do nothing. It's a monster. Doesn't that look like a monster? And guess what is in its mouth? I don't know. You guys would have to know your European uh, maps from World War II pretty well. That's Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia is dinner uh, in this situation. And so this is on the screen. It's for those of you that are listening to this via podcast. You have this picture of Germany, which does look like a monster. It really does. So I put a monster body on it. And I say in the top, the monster that will devour Czechoslovakia. Neville Chamberlain. Oh, sorry, guys. Our, uh, our font. And do we, are, is someone doing a live edit back there, by the way? Is Nick back? There? Okay. Uh, so our, if you guys see this in the live edit, uh, Neville Chamberlain's name is messed up. We, we had problems with our keynote, and there's the illustration of it right there. Listen to what Neville Chamberlain, who's over Great Britain at the time, he's going to say, you, only, you have only to look at the map to see that nothing that France or we could do could possibly save Czechoslovakia from being overrun by the Germans. If they wanted to do it, I have therefore abandoned any idea of giving guarantees to Czechoslovakia or to the French in connection with their obligations to that country. At any point, if the Allies had intervened, there wouldn't have been World War II. They could have so easily stopped this entire war. Winston Churchill, when Roosevelt says, what should we name this war after it's all over? Churchill immediately shouts out, the unnecessary war. 75 million people are going to die unnecessarily because good men did nothing. At this juncture, if Neville Chamberlain will rise up, Germany can still be stopped. But what is his reasoning? He sees a girl over there under ISIS fire, and he's like, hey, this isn't my business. Look, I, you know, I, I'm not Muslim. I, I, I have nothing to do with this warfare here. I, I'm an American. I, I don't have any, that's the way we could easily do this. We make things political. We make things racial. And suddenly we remove ourselves from the picture. Eric, you're a white, middle-class American male. You have no voice right now. I'm a Christian. I have a voice. God has chosen to use this mouth, these hands, these feet as his body. What he leads me to do, I will do. Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. If that is not proven true in World War II, I don't know that it has ever been seen more starkly. Winston Churchill, this was one of those awful periods which recur in our history when the noble British nation seems to fall from its highest state, loses all trace of sense or purpose, and appears to cower from the menace of foreign peril, frothing pious platitudes while foemen forge their arms. That was Winston Churchill's statement of going into World War II. I, that's strangely parallel, guys. We are frothing pious, pious platitudes. Meanwhile, the enemy is not being stopped. There is an evil lurking in our nation right now, and it wants to devour us. There is a proper response, and we have to see clearly to bring it about. We have to go after the girl. There's a lot of souls hanging in the balance. This isn't a racial issue for me at all. 
This is a sin issue. This is an issue of people being enslaved in darkness and they are not responding to trauma in their life properly. That does not mean that we don't show sensitivity to the fact that they've experienced trauma. But we don't allow our supersensitivity to be hypersensitivity where we do nothing. We are still the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's our picture, going after the girl. There are souls in desperate need right now. And almost every single one of us is being conned into the position that we are not the ones to do something right now. This isn't our issue. We don't have a position to do anything. And I could understand why Dave Eubank in Mosul, Iraq, when the Islamic military is there, okay, the Iraqi military is there, why would he take it upon himself to go after the girl? I have a simple answer for that. He's a Christian. That's why we do it. That's a picture of Jesus right there. I know it's not Jesus, right? But that's Jesus in a man. And when Jesus in a man or a woman sees the need, he responds. He acts. Right now, our most practical, fundamental action is prayer. For some reason, it's also a hard one. I don't know why right now. But it's harder for the church right now to aggressively pray Partly due to the fact that we have drive-in church and Zoom church uh, as our main things because so much of it has to do with the energy that you get in the body. There's a, it's like the candle that lights others. When something is aflame, it creates that torch effect of handing from one to the next. We set each one on fire, same fire as Jesus Christ, but when we carry it, it spreads in a body. I'm not saying that's impossible with drive-in church and Zoom. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's harder right now, which means we need the grace of God to bust out of our bubble or our fog or our dizzy state and aggressively pursue what I'm calling today the girl, to go after the girl, to go after the souls, to love those that are now ruling the autonomous uh, zone, to love them, to care about their souls. Our battle is not against them. It's against the principality, spiritual powers that are controlling that situation. You see, we need to make sure we remember where the battle lies. If anyone on earth should know that, it's us. Father, we need you and we need you now. I pray that you would labor on behalf of your church, that you would give us the grace that we need to powerfully enunciate your truth right now. Lord, I pray that you would enable everyone of us as Christians, no matter our race, no matter our ethnicity, to not see skin tones right now, but to see truth, to have the lens of Christ, to be able to reason properly and to go after the weakened and the dying and the depraved. Lord Jesus, there are those that need the truth of the gospel right now, and I pray that we would be equipped to give it. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.